All right, welcome back to Word Season in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, coming to you live from Split Rocks on another Friday night, uh, jam-packed house here. Maybe Friday night is the it's tonic. The tic- well, and maybe spring, no yeah. blizzards, that helps. Yeah, that's true. I was actually like wearing my sunglasses outside here. N- nice to show up, Carp. Guy, guy, this guy got kicked off Twitter, and he shows up late to the podcast. Um, so, uh, uh, wearing the sunglasses, what was I saying? I, I don't even remember. Um, some shiny object. Yeah. Appeared. By the way, this is the Aquarius uh, Home Services Studios. Thanks for everybody for joining up here at Split Rocks on this awesome Friday night. Probably, actually, what I was going to say is, crazily, there's not one hockey game tonight in the National Hockey League because all 32 teams yeah, play that, which is Yeah, which is the first time they've had that happen, that yeah. all 32 were going to play on the same night. That'll be fun. And a lot to watch. So many great races. It's Remember last year we talked about how the, what was disappointing down the stretch is there were so few games that really, truly mattered. The mm-hmm. Eastern field had been set since Christmas. A couple things for who had home ice or not, but Minnesota knew they were going to play St. Louis for about a month, it felt. Mm-hmm. Now there's so much up in the air, not just for the Wild, but all around the league. The, the race for the last playoff spot in the West is going to be fun to watch. The wild card race in the East, we just saw Pittsburgh last night. They're a point back of two teams. I think it's going to be a lot of fun here these last four or five days of the regular season. Yeah, Pittsburgh obviously beat the Wild last night, but Islanders and Florida had two big wins as well. Um, And in the Western Conference, we know at this point that the Wild are probably playing Dallas, Colorado, or Seattle. It would take a lot for them at this point to play Seattle. I think they they definitely blew their chance of winning the Western Conference, but certainly uh, it's made it life difficult to try to win the Central, which means that uh, they're going to play Dallas or Colorado, I predicted Dallas a couple of weeks ago in the wild with finishing the three-hole. I can't remember who you picked Colorado. I picked them to finish third, and, uh, which I've basically said all season. I thought they were right. the third-best team in the Central. I still think they are, and doesn't mean they can't beat Dallas in the mm-hmm. first round, but I think Colorado and Dallas will find a way to finish in front of them. Dallas owning the tiebreaker is a big deal right now. Colorado with an extra game. I, just, I think it's going to be really tough for Minnesota in a four-game stretch, especially now with some injuries to make up that kind of ground. Uh, let's talk about that. Obviously, two big uh, items of news today. One, Yul Eriksson-Ak out uh, week to week with a... Uh, you guys can come sit down, by the way. You're making me nervous. Um, the uh, Actually, I, we don't want them right there. Like, anybody else could sit there. But um, So, uh, Yul Eriksson-Ak week to week with the uh, the shot to the, to the ankle area. Um, and then uh, Kirill Kaprizov coming back. Let's start with the... the Let's start with the negative news because I'm a sports writer. Um, let's go with uh, Eric Snack. I mean, obviously, just yeah, all sports writers think that way. Yeah, but I do. Um, like Eric's, I mean, it's funny. I ran into Ryan Carter at the airport today because he was flying down to the Masters, and we were talking about, you know, and he said that he said to you on the line, and I might be misquoting him, but he basically said, like, look, there's no doubt that Kaprizov is their best player, but. But Eric Snack, I don't know if he used this word, might be their most irreplaceable player. Yeah, or, we, or, we talked about it on yeah. the, in the postgame show last night that I believe he really is. I think if you look at, well, and even just look at what's just happened over the last 13 games, they lost Kirill Kaprizov at a time when mm-hmm. this team could not buy a goal, yeah. and yet they withstood it, went 7-3-3 three, and three without him. And not that he isn't their best player and not that they don't need him desperately, but you can replace a goal scorer. You can't replace a guy that takes more face-offs than anybody on your roster, that plays almost as many shorthanded minutes as anybody. Uh, Freddie Gaudreau plays one second more among forwards. He's second among forwards in time on ice. 
He's leads the team, the the forwards in in power play faceoffs. He's second in power play goals. He's among the leaders in scoring. And then on top of all that, he plays against the best for the other team every single night. I believe this is the guy that is that probably among everybody on the roster the most irreplaceable. We even look at Jonas Brodin on defense. He's he might be the most irreplaceable defenseman, but you can find a way to get away with it by using Spurgeon and Middleton more. As they by, showed this year. Right. And this guy, I think, would be the most, the most challenging to find a spot. And every time you think that you've got extra guys and especially extra centermen, all it takes is take a guy like this out of the lineup and now try to make the pieces of the puzzle fit. It's challenging. No doubt. And um, we'll see how they handle it. It's, I, I feel terrible for Eric Snap because you and I both know him very well. This is one... This is a player that plays for playoff hockey uh, and knows how important he is. I mean, just look at game six last year. Dmitry Kulikov high sticks him in the face. He comes back, it's 4 nothing. Like, like, you know, like it just shows you what that right. little span well, of... As you start to look ahead, yeah. let's just say you're facing... It, it's going to be McKinnon. Dallas or Colorado. Yeah. So you're facing Nathan McKinnon with a defensive zone faceoff late in the game. And now your options might be... It's going to be Freddie Goudreau. It's going to be Freddie Goudreau. And that's... Freddie's a great all-around hockey player, but he's not Jewel Erickson Eck. And you think about those great battles with Dallas where it always feels like Jamie Benn and Jewel Erickson Eck are nose-to-nose at the side of yeah. the net. Well, that, he's a bigger, stronger body than some of these other center options. And think about what the burden might be to now fall on Goudreau. And if you start to ask more of him in terms of minutes, more of him in terms of those heavy minutes against some of the best, does it make him a lesser penalty kill guy? Does it, how does it affect Ryan Hartman if he has to take more of those defensive zone draws instead of offensive zone draws? It just, it'll have an impact all the way down the line. And you look at that Vegas series, I think we could all say, even playing on a sprained knee, that Eric Snack was their best forward in that series. And last year in St. Louis, other than Kaprizov, he was their best player. And, and so, um, huge loss. Marco Rossi is going to be on his way up. I had Bill Guerin on the radio and the fan uh, um, about an hour and a half ago. And, and he said that uh, Marco is going to play tonight for the Iowa Wild, not play tomorrow night um, in, in Chicago, and he's going to wait for the team when it arrives on Sunday to play the Blackhawks. And um, obviously, uh, I know what a lot of Wild fans have been waiting for him. He has done his job. I mean, I think he thought that he was going down there for a couple of weeks. It's been three, three and a half, four months, and he has not moped. He is playing both ends of the ice. Uh, he's playing with pace. Um, 49 points in 49 games, 33 in the last 31 games. And uh, what Bill Guerin said to me on the radio today is he, does, he, wants, he wants some FU in his game. And, um, uh, and I think it is incumbent on him to just show up there. And, and look, again, Erickson, as you said about Ben, I mean, that to me is the biggest concern about losing Erickson there because he's a, he, that guy is fearless. He will go nose-to-nose with anybody on the other team, goal-mouth scrums, he's the king of it. And it's, it's a step back. And now, can Rossi step in to if he plays yeah. with Boldy or if he plays on that third line, whatever it is? And Rossi's not going to be Eric Sinek. Right. But what he could be is a guy that drives that line that has been such a great scoring line for Minnesota, particularly in the absence of Kaprizov. I'm talking about the line with Johansson and Boldy. And maybe now then you can lean more heavily on a Goudreau Nyquist Felino line or a Goudreau Sunquist Felino line, whatever it might be, to just be more of your checking line. And you just have to be a little more 
detail-oriented when it comes to matchups instead of when we talked to Dean. I can't remember if it was with you before the game in Pittsburgh or if it was when we had our conversation with him off to the side and we were just talking about that he might not have to be as aware of or spend as much energy trying to get matchups if his roster was at full strength because he'd be able to trust his fourth line. He'd be able to trust that the Johansson and Boldy line that's been scoring has Erickson Eck in the middle. So he, could, he wouldn't be worried about when or if they were caught on the ice against anybody. Now you might just have to have lines with more clearly defined roles and, and limited roles. Yeah. Uh, now the good news, uh, and, you know, Carroll said it perfectly today. He goes, with good news comes bad news. <laughs> I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty eloquent for somebody that doesn't speak the native tongue. But um, the good news is that the really good news is that Kirill Kaprizov will be back really on Saturday. With good news comes bad That's news? That's what he said. It's his way of saying right, it. Right, but so. you said it was eloquent. I'm asking, is that really a saying? For, no, it's, I, I didn't say it's a saying. I'm saying it's Kirill's saying. Okay. You say it in Russian, Anthony. Um, <laughs> like, like, that's my point, is that somehow he said that. Um, so anyway, um, you know... The, now, now I got you sidetracked. Well, I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, but... He, um, the Wild have, for the last week, made it very clear that he was going to play one or two of the final games of the season. And he walked into that office yesterday. I, I mean, you, you were at the scrum with Dean was giving me crap because I was basically eavesdropping on everything yesterday morning. And I watched, uh, you know, stuff that you don't get to normally see, but I watched Carell go into a meeting with the coaching staff. And that guy, 15 minutes later, came out with the biggest grin in, on earth, and it was clear that he was either going to somehow talk them into playing yesterday in Pittsburgh or was going to come back, and it was just, and then I went in the locker room and I talked to him, it was very clear that he was playing, and this is all before the Eric Snack and Sunquist right. injury. Yeah, they so, had a plan. He was going to play Saturday yeah. against St. Louis, then he was going to play one of the two back-to-backs right. in Chicago or Winnipeg, and then they were going to see what was on the line in Nashville. So he was. I don't think was, anybody should play in Nashville. Well, but, at, but if they had a chance to win the division, yeah. I'd feel differently. If it's just whether or not you have home ice advantage against Dallas in the first round, I agree with you. Then yeah. it's, but, but that's another topic we can get into. I did, with the Kaprizov thing, it, this wasn't affected by the injuries. He was yeah. going to play Saturday. He was going to play one of the two, but not both of the back-to-backs, and then see what was probably see what was on the line and see how he responded. You don't know for sure with some of these injuries. You, you might feel great in a morning skate and in a low energy, I don't want to say low energy, that's the wrong word, but a low intensity battle drills. They're not game intensity. And so I think that was, they had this plan all along. And believe me, these guys are, Dean will always say, we don't look ahead, we don't look ahead. They've got a plan. And they've got a plan in advance. And they, they know what they're going to do with these guys. They know who's going to play. They've got an idea of assuming everybody's healthy, not just... I've had a chance to have chats with him in their coach's office and see their wall of line combos where it's, it isn't just like a little piece of paper that's got four yeah. forward lines and three defensive lines. It's got power play, power play number two, penalty kill, three on three, four on four, shootout orders. It's got everything. Three on five, five on three. They've got them all on there, and then they all have a little card they carry with them on the bench so that they're all going from the same page to make adjustments as they go. But they've had a plan with this. And yeah, right he, or wrong, he, accused, I mean, they, he accused me of peeking in that coach's office yesterday and looking at that whiteboard. He did. Uh, yeah. And uh, he was probably right. Never. 
I would never, ever, 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 ever do that. Um, so, um, you know. But here, so this was the other topic that I had just touched on there that I wanted to get to, and we saw it last night in this game in Pittsburgh. The team was flat, and they were flat from the drop of the puck. It was a Pittsburgh team that we talked in the open of our broadcast last night. If there's a team in the league that knows what it takes to win that game last night, with their backs to the wall, playoff lives on the wall, it's that Penguins team. 16 years in a row they've been in the playoffs. Their four core guys have all been together for most of those 16 years. And they, they're down a point with four games to play. You knew they were going to hit the ice with that kind of intensity and that kind of focus. And the challenge for the Wild was going to be to match it. And we talked about what we would do if we were that guy, if we were the balance between trying to win the division, trying to get home ice, or resting guys. And I think that as soon as the players start to hear coaches talk about, well, we're going to start to make some plans on who we can rest and when we can rest them, it's human nature to feel like the foot's been taken off the gas a little bit. And I think we saw that in the first period and then probably saw an adjustment from the coaches going into the second and third, but I think the players saw it themselves by the way they reacted after the game and immediately closed the doors and said, we got to chat for a little bit because I think they realized that, hey, guys, just because there's an X next to our team name, we can't, we can't change the way you're playing the game right now. And I've always believed you want to go in playing the right way, being on top of your game, and you can't start saying, well, let's keep this guy out for a night or that guy out for a night to limit injury. You just An injury can happen in a blink of an eye. So unless you're going to take everybody out for a week and say none of these guys are going to play so that therefore we know they don't get injured, I just don't think you can go that way. I, I think the interesting thing now is how they balance the human nature of wanting to get themselves back on track internally in that locker room versus – being scared to death after seeing what happened to Eric Snack and making sure that it doesn't happen to them. And, um, you know, remember game 82, the game against Nashville where Brzezgolf was in the net and they were at, nobody was in shooting lanes and he was waving at pucks and the Wild, like, lost, like, 6-1 or yeah, something? I do. Like, I that, also that, remember that, a game at home, the last game of a regular season, where they had – it was the year that they ended up losing to Mike Yo's St. Louis team, the first mm -hmm. time they lost to St. Louis, not last year. And I remember – I remember it like vividly with some of the defensemen saying, "Well, I don't even want to play tonight, but yeah. I got to play, so I'm just not going to block a shot." Yeah. And it was it it was worse than watching an exhibition. Wasn't game. that the game I'm talking about? The game against Nashville, where Bizgolf was waving at pucks. Uh, I don't think it was Nashville. Okay. It might have been. I um, was here. Either, I thought you yeah. meant in Nashville. This yeah. is the one I was talking about. Yeah, was no, here. no, the one I was thinking XL Energy Center. But um, regardless, like it just um, that like it's just natural, like. Like, obviously, this team needs to get itself back together here. Um, and the other thing that they've got to figure out now that they're going to have a vastly different lineup just out of necessity with, you know, of the injuries but also guys coming back in the lineup is they got to get some cohesion back. Um, but the other part of it is, like, you know, you don't want – like, you don't want guys getting hurt. Like, basically, Bill Guerin said on the radio today, like, he was commending Erickson Eck for getting tied up and then sticking his leg out to block the shot. But then now, in hindsight, kind of right. wish that Well, it was interesting. Didn't. I mean, I don't know. And we've never been players inside a room. I asked both Wes Walls and Ryan Carter this in recent broadcasts where I said, how difficult is it to then flip the switch when the playoffs start? And both of them just said, there's only one way to play. 
and you can't go in and, and start to play like it's an exhibition game and then expect that next week when the lights come back on and it's game one, that you're going to be able to go back to playing like you were playing for the month and a half as you were grinding to clinch that playoff spot. And they both just said, I wouldn't want to change. I, let's just make the mindset be that we're continuing to battle. I think it's different if you have a guy that's coming back from an injury. There you could easily, without changing the message inside your room, say to guys, we've got to make sure he's 100%. But if it's a guy who's already healthy, I don't think you can say we're going to give him a night off to try to make sure he's not injured going into the playoffs. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Gus Nyquist uh, is not going to play tomorrow. I think he's going to be seeing the docs to get uh, final clearance. Um, you know, I guess he skates tomorrow and they see, but it's, it sounded like they were leaning toward holding him off until the back-to-backs. Yeah, so most likely seven defensemen tomorrow. Um, does, it, does it surprise you that they just didn't bring up Rossi now and get him going? Because, you know, the one thing I, I remember, one, I mean, the injury luck this team has, can you imagine he gets hurt tonight? But two, you remember the one time uh, uh, two Decembers ago, remember actually Bill Guerin drove to Iowa and his intention was to bring Matt Boldy back with yeah, him and he got that hurt that night. Year. Yeah, and he, wound up bringing, and he wound up bringing Mason Shaw, I think, instead. And he flew to Edmonton uh, to make maybe his NHL debut. I can't remember. Yeah. But, uh, but Boldy was supposed to make his NHL debut a month earlier than he did. And I, if it were me, I would love to have called him up. Maybe it was just because of the fact that the they Wild were in going Chicago, to Chicago and, going, yeah. and not have him fly back. But I would like to see him, if you think he's a potential f- solution to the Eck injury, I'd want to see him four times yeah. and say, bring him up and let's throw him in there and let's go. And you know, we don't know for sure what the injury status of Erickson Eck is. I know they said week to week. Well, it's a week and a half from game one, so maybe they're not absolutely certain he won't be ready for game one yet. It sure looked to me when you watched the play that it was unlikely he'd be ready for the first game, but we don't know. So if, it was a, if it's a question that maybe he's ready, maybe he's not, then maybe you just wait with Rossi. But if I was fairly certain he's not going to be ready for the first game, I'd want to find out with as much certainty as I could, is Marco Rossi ready to step into that role, play with Johansson and Boldy in the playoffs? I'd want to see him four times if possible. I want to talk to you about the Frozen Four, and I want to talk to you about um, who you think the Wild match up well against, and we'll talk about some other things as well. But I want to remind people we have a microphone up here. If you have any questions for Anthony or myself, uh, just come on up. Ask a question. Um, how are you doing the T-shirts, uh, Brandon? Just if you ask a question, you get a T-shirt? Five. Five. Oh, first five people? Uh-oh. You better run. Come on, Jake. Um, how was the uh, baseball game? A little walk-off. Well, you got to make sure they're good questions, though. Yeah. So If we don't, if we don't approve of, of the quality of your question, we're just going to tell you to leave the shirt there, and you're going to be shamed right in, right in front of... Right. 50 people. We could let Margo and Ariana decide. Actually, I they, think we should have Margo we'll up have here. Them decide Actually, we should have really Ariana up here. Yeah. Ariana's been a star of the show lately. What, what have we been. talked about with Ariana? That when she took well, we what, broke the news that she had a new boyfriend one time a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, that, that one was, and that well. freaked out Margo. Yeah. Uh, because we were worried that the other boyfriend would hear that about the new boyfriend and then all that stuff. And then we had the uh, one where, remember when I, you guys were like, like for years telling me what a violent 
basketball player she was, and I was like all excited to go to see one of her youth games was for violent. her. She was just dirty. Yeah, I wanted to see her take a flagrant foul, and she was clean as a whistle, and I left there completely disappointed. Yeah. And then the, uh, the best one was on the last show or two shows ago when I, we were like spying on her cell phone, and I knew she was out at like 2.30 in the morning, and I texted her like, why the hell, where were you? Like, why are you just walking in the house now? So oh, that was when we were in Europe. Yeah, exactly. We right. were in yeah. Austria. You just told the story on the last show. Yeah, we right. were in Austria. Yeah. So, um, so Ariane, don't you think Margot should come up and we should talk about your uh, dad? <laughs> yeah, talk about some stories about. It's Ariana's birthday weekend. Twenty-one. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. It's a big day in the Lapanta household. Now yeah. all shenanigans in the basement are legal. <laughs> That's cool. Well, it's a perfect time to go visit Twill if you're turning the page to spring like I am. I'm anxious to get out on the golf course, and they're a great place to go for some golf apparel. They've made the changeover in the whole store from winter to spring. They've got great collections from brands like Peter Millar, Johnny O. So if your travel plans include right now getting out of the winter and into the spring somewhere else, or if you're just preparing for the spring season here in Minnesota, check them out. Twill at the Galleria in Edina. Spring has arrived, and I know it's hard to believe, but warm weather is coming, and the AC will be running soon. Make sure you are prepared when it comes to the hot summer heat. From tune-ups to repairs, Aquarius Home Services is here to help. If it's time for replacement, Aquarius is offering a new AC for as low as $55 per month. That's right, $55 per month. They treat your home like it's their own, from wearing shoe covers to cleaning up when they're done. Aquarius provides no surprise upfront pricing and guaranteed work. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. Don't wait until it's too late. Call Aquarius today and make sure your air conditioner is prepared. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com, and don't forget to mention Russo sent you. It's springtime. The weather is getting nicer. The snow is melting. The spring season selling season is here. Skip the spring cleaning and get straight to spring selling. Be proactive and take action today, even if you're not quite ready to sell your home. So you can be better informed and ready to move forward when the time is right. More people are moving again as interest rates are stabilized. Sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. There's no showings, no decluttering, no repairs, and no stress. It's an easy way to sell your home. They keep you in control so you can sell your home fast. You can pick your closing date and move when it's convenient for you. So find out what your guaranteed cash offer would be right now. There's no obligation. You could do that by going to chrislindahl.com or call 763-401-SOLD. Close with confidence and start packing. Terms and conditions apply. Um, all right, who has uh, questions? Anybody want to come up? Ryan Reeves. Okay, yeah, I was out at uh, Ridgedale. Ryan Reeves was nice enough to come out and do autographs, so I had him sign it. Great oh, guy. Oh, nice. Um, I mean, maybe talk about the fourth line a little bit. Ryan mm-hmm. Reeves has brought a lot of energy, obviously, to the team. He's a character guy. Whenever you see him, he's smiling. You've got Connor Dewar, Mason Shaw, unfortunately. Um, you know, heartbreaking to see him go down. Yep. Um, but those two guys in particular seem to me to be just elite penalty killers. And how do they rate in your eyes around the league as far as how they go about on the penalty kill? I mean, they got a ton of shorthanded goals. And then what is Mason Shaw's prognosis? Like, is he going to come back from this? Is this kind of the end of the road? Or what do you think? Well, uh, the beat writers, uh, we're getting him privately tomorrow uh, for stories that we're writing on Monday. Um, so we'll talk to him a little bit more about that. I mean, obviously, two ACLs in each uh, knee is a lot. 
Um, I did talk to an orthopedic surgeon the other day that said if he's willing to put in the work, which is half. I remember when I covered Pavel Bure, Bure told me once, he goes, if I ever get another torn ACL, that's it. Because he just wasn't willing to put in the rehab again. Because it's sad. It's just absolutely grueling and exhaustive. And and um, I did so, the rehab once. I wouldn't do it four times. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. But it is. It's a it's a very structured rehab. I will say that. Now, obviously, I wasn't trying to get myself back to play NHL hockey. But I remember after I the, it was a wild surgeon who did my knee, and he said, "If you follow this, your knee will be normal in six months." But he said, "Don't ever." No matter how good or bad it feels, keep doing exactly. You'll there will be a stretch, and he defined it for me. He said there will be a stretch where you feel like it feels better, and you want to do more. Don't. And there will be stretches where it feels like jelly and nothing. Keep doing what I'm telling you to do, and and by this month you'll be doing this. This month you'll be doing this. This month you'll start to do the start stop pivot stuff. And he was almost to the day it was right. And I I just think if there's a guy willing to put in the work. Mason Shaw is that guy. Yes. I think he will he'll do everything he can to get back on the ice. But I think the fourth line's interesting because Connor Dewar is he's a terrific centerman and a good penalty killer. Brandon Duhame brings the same thing Shaw does, plus a little more size. He's got the same kind of speed, aggressiveness. He's shown a little scoring touch. I think that that if if they had everybody healthy, it was really going to be a big dilemma. Who do you want as the other guy on that line? Reeves, Shaw, even Sam Steele's been mentioned. Uh, I think they've got some different possibilities there, but it's a fourth line they're going to have to lean on in the playoffs. Isn't it funny? Um, no, not funny, but but how often in the last several podcasts and articles and tweets and all that stuff, and all of us do it, how we always say, all right, you know, here's what's the roster going to be like when they're healthy. And we do all these line combinations and it's always fruitless because that's, it's hockey injuries happen. And we've, this just proves it again. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, none of us ever thought that Duhane would be out. None of us ever envisioned that this team would have to go into the playoffs with Erickson Eck. Um, it's just, uh, it really is truly a shame. So, um, Duhame is really high energy guy. Like yeah. when you watch him out there, he's skating full tilt all the time. He was he was their best player last night. <laughs> he he right, was the yeah. one guy that was trying to do change the game. Actually I thought he was great against Vegas. Yeah. Yep. The first game that he moved down to the fourth line to take Shaw's spot. Mm -hmm. I thought he was really good there. And I he's I think he's a valuable piece on this team. I never probably never going to be a legit top six type forward, but boy, I'd love to have that guy in my third or fourth line every night. And a great, great, great goal the other night, and and I actually said to Revo, he had those silky boots to kick him the assist there, and, yeah. and took that shot. I mean, every guy in the NHL obviously can make incredible shots. They're all talented players to get to that level, but I feel like he's got more to give, and I think he'll be a big part of the team. On that note, with Ryan Reeves, is he going to be back next year? What are the chances that Garen is able to sign him or wants to? Well, it's completely up to what he's willing to accept on a contract because Garen will offer him a contract, 100%. It's just going to be whether or not. I mean, that contract might be a million bucks, and then he's right. got to say, am I willing to play for that? Um, but I, I just knowing Billy and their relationship, I mean, I, I was telling the story on the radio today, but uh, last practice, not today's optional, but the practice before the Wild went to Pittsburgh, um, Reeves took a puck off the kneecap in practice. I don't know if you were at that one. And he was being worked on on the bench by their their assistant athletic trainer. And 
like they're doing all this stuff with his brace and his knee and all this stuff. And finally, Billy Garrett runs down from his GM's perch. He runs up to the bench. He starts like massaging Reeves' right what? knee and then looks him in the eyes. Reeves is laughing. He goes, I thought you were tough. Like, I thought, well, like, this doesn't look like a tough guy to me. And Reeves just starts laughing, and he gets up, and he goes out on the ice and finishes practice. Oh. So, like, that's a special relationship between a GM and a player, right? right. And, and um, you know, so he's going to ask him back. That's why even when they were fully healthy and people were questioning whether when I kept on saying that Reeves was going to be in the opening lineup over guys like even Shaw and Sunquist, there was no doubt. You know, it was always going to be him. Now it's 100%. Mm. So. Any word on Sunquist? Because did he just get like a broken rib from being brutalized without a call? No, I mean, unfortunately, if looking at the replay, I don't know if you looked at it, it looked like yeah, his legs it's got his caught. Body, yeah, yeah it got oh. caught under him as he was getting cross-checked. Yep. Oh. He, uh, he won't play tomorrow either. And, yeah. um, I think they're more optimistic. I think they're almost certain he'd be ready for the start of the playoffs. Not, nothing is certain, but I think they're confident. So, so one last uh, question then, and, and I know Michael is friends with the referees, so I'll try not to be too. <laughs> but what, what is interference? Because you saw the games with Eck, and he's standing his ground, he's standing in front of the net, guy's coming flying at him 15 miles an hour, and he just not, you know, the guy runs into him, he's not as much of a man as Eck, so he's doing snow angels. And, like, he gets the call. Like, and then you saw Brodeen get two calls for interference, which I thought, same thing. He's not moving. He's not skating. The guy's coming at him. Well, you throw the shoulder. Otherwise, you get bulldozer. You say, here you go. Have the puck. And then he gets a second one where Zucker's hooking him. He goes down, and that leads to Eck getting hurt. So, I mean, is there something that the league is going to look at with this? Is there something they can do besides, you know, I mean, we've, we've obviously heard a lot about. Yeah, I, they, they do look at everything. They, they really do. They evaluate their referees as much or more than any of the other pro sports. I actually thought both the Brodeen calls were legit interference calls last night. I, he was trying to hold the red line both times, and both times got caught. And I, I, there's, good bad, there's good nights and bad nights for referees. I didn't think last night was necessarily any worse than any others. But the one thing that you brought up that is interesting, and we've talked about this before, Jules Eriksson Eck has to lead the league in uncalled penalties against. It's crazy how much of abuse he takes, how beat up he gets out front of the net and never gets the benefit of the doubt on calls. And I'm not sure why that is because normally officials go the other way. If it's a guy that's known to be a flopper and diver, then sometimes he doesn't get calls. Eck never, he, he never flops. And he had the he one, game in, had the one game in Arizona where he completely... <laughs> made up a high stick, and uh, you know, but that's the only time I've ever remembered that. But yeah, it was and even then, that one was there his, was that contact, was his, and he yeah. snapped his head back. Yeah, it's, I don't know if there was contact. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, they. I think they should get rid of the reviewing the offsides because that seems completely irrelevant to the play. But they should review some penalties, especially the puck over the glass. I know everybody's talked about that. But uh, it, to me, it just seems like uh, there are some things that they could change to make the officiating better. But overall, the offsides, I mean, the linesmen, man, they're 99% of the time, they're dead on. Even yeah, they are. And yeah. you know, the only thing I'll say about the offsides, like, I don't disagree with you, to, uh, you know, really at all. But I, what, what I, I remember that 2014 playoff series against Colorado when Stasny was offside twice on goals. And I One remember of them by two strikes. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I guess. You know, you ask any Wild fan back then, 
and they would say that they wish there were offsides reviews. Those goals shouldn't have yeah, counted. What, what, to me, the frustrating part is if it has nothing to do with the play. Yeah. Those did. They right. did. But if it's sometimes they, the zone entry, then there were 17 passes before right. the, a play happened. But there's no way to – you can't police that. You can't put a stopwatch <laughs> on it because the argument would always be they never should have been in the zone in the first place. If you're going to have the review, I mean it, – it's like if you watch a football game and they zoom in on this guy's right toe on the side. Well, you're either in or you're out. So you're either offside or you're not. And however close it might be, if you have the rule, then you have to be willing to enforce it. And I, I, I have no problem with it. I love the fact that they assign a penalty if the assess a penalty if the coach is wrong. It means they only are challenging if it's egregious. I, I have no problem with it. So the league isn't out to get us as Wild no, fans because sometimes it feels like it. No, <laughs> no. They're definitely not. I know that it feels that way. Maybe the high, high, high up. The Wild, uh, I won't get into that. <laughs> do, do, do I qualify for a T-shirt then? Do I win? Yeah, like I think 20 T-shirts. Yeah. Um, he just co-hosted like a third of the show, so. Yeah. I think what you did is you tried to ask eight questions to make sure you asked one right. quality well, to get although a we gotta, you got to get approval from Ariana. Did she give it a thumbs up? Yeah, all right, yeah, good. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Same at my house. Yeah. If, if you didn't hear that on the podcast yeah. at home, uh, his wife said that he's just like that at home. So. Yeah. Margo says the same thing about me at home. Just does, he walk around with a, does he walk around with a microphone at home? Honey! <laughs> <laughs> so, so we talk about playoff hockey, all it steps up with the intensity and everything. From, from your perspectives as like a broadcaster and a writer, how does, how does it change for your preparation? I mean, you're, you, you potentially have more readers, more viewers, you're, you're prepping for the same team many times in a row. How, does, how do the playoffs change from your perspective and your roles? Well, it doesn't change necessarily in terms of uh, you can't change eat 50 just based starts, on probably. more viewers. You really can't. But I will say that the preparation becomes easier, more satisfying because you can dig deeper into the two teams, knowing that if you don't use it tonight, I've got five more games where that story might still be valid. So on a night like when we were playing Pittsburgh the other night, we had a ton of stuff. There's so many ties between the two organizations. And, and then you get in a few of them over the course of the game and the rest that you don't use, it's now trash because we won't see Pittsburgh again until next year. So in this case, I know just about everything that I dig into and just about everything I compile. At some point in seven games, I'm going to use it. There are going to, well, I shouldn't say all of it because there will be some things that game one and two dictate that now that doesn't matter anymore. So it's, uh, the research is deeper, but it's also you feel a little bit more confident that you're going to use it. That's about the only thing that changes for me. And, and you can just go deeper into the opponent because it isn't just surface level where it's a few things about these guys. You really want to know more about their playoff histories, their matchups with each other. It's, I, I find it a lot of fun to prep for playoff series. Yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, the biggest uh, difference is how I have, like, a new fan base that hates my guts and goes after me on Twitter. Um, that's usually the biggest one. But, um, but I mean, a lot of it is, like, I enjoy it because I like working the other locker room and, and learning those storylines and things like that. And, and to me, you just, when you cover a long playoff series, um, you just start to learn the, the other team a lot more, and I think it helps your writing. Um, this year, I'm super excited. Uh, the Athletic... You know, I don't know if uh, 
people listening, if everybody listening to this podcast are athletic subscribers, but, you know, a big thank you. Like, we are the most successful market in, at The Athletic. And um, to the point that uh, Joe Smith and I are both going to travel um, uh, for, the, for the first round, where at first it looked like he was going to peel off and cover the lightning or not, or not travel at all, or we would split the road trips. But they're, you know, it, the, the fans here justify it. And what I'm super excited about from that perspective is, you know, during the playoffs, and Anthony could attest to this, the off days are really light. You know, they're off, they are off days. Like most times the team doesn't practice. Now they might come in for meetings and things like that. But usually we're at the mercy of getting three or four guys on an off day. And, you know, the, the Wild PR staff's incredible where they always, like, say, hey, if tomorrow is an off day, who do you need? And they, they try to accommodate that. But now after a game, if, say, I'm writing the gamer, if Joe's writing the gamer, or I'm writing a column and Joe's writing a gamer, or whatever it is, now if, say, one of us is only doing one thing, we could work the room uh, and get myriad players and hold all that stuff to write a really quality off day story that we would never be able to do before. And I think that's just, just because we're gonna have that manpower now, I think it's just gonna be great. Um, and then I just, I just enjoy it because it's just, uh, I mean, to me, it's like, I don't know uh, how you feel doing a game that well, on the road, but I actually, like when I'm covering a playoff game, I actually, like you actually get a little nervous. Uh, you know, you wanna write uh, a real good gamer. You for want- For sure, and you, there's great moments. So yep. as a, the same thing, I wanna make sure that if there's that game seven overtime winner, you don't want to mess up the call. So you really want to you want to be on your game. I, I hope I'm on my game every night. But I just think you get a there's it's so much fun to watch the matchups between coaches and lines as a series progresses and adjustments that they make. And I it is there's nothing better than a seven game Stanley Cup playoff series. So I, I love it. And the, and the off days Except the uh, overtime intermission when he'll come up to me and just freaking bother me. It won't be as big a deal now because I don't, we're not on deadline at well, the Well, you should probably back up with that story. It was We were in Denver for game seven. And if you guys remember the game, the Wild were down by a goal four times. And I so, just want you to know so, that there's probably a moment in this story that I'm going to explode because just him telling the story is making my heart palpitate again. Yeah. Because it and, still pisses me and off. And so the, the Wild, we, we had we, each intermission, usually we were only a couple rooms apart. So I'd just kind of wander over and see what was going on. And, and so when <sighs> Spurgeon scored with a couple of minutes left in the game, and I walked over to him. And so now we're headed into overtime. He's probably already had the story written, the Wilds obituary that, you know, he was about what happened. And I walked, he said, hey, uh, did that Spurgeon goal require you to change your story at all? And he screams so that it turned the head of everybody else. No, no, LaPanta! And everybody in the room just looked like, what in the world is with this guy? Yes. <laughs> um, so... To add context to that story that he doesn't appreciate is that it's game seven. I'm working for the Strib at the time. It's 12.30 in the morning back here. The game changed 50 freaking times. And you either you are either having – you have two stories that you have to file the second the game's over. One, the season is over. And two, they're advancing to play Chicago. Two very different stories. A lot of times when you're covering – even a regular season game, as a beat writer for a newspaper, you have to have two files going, but they're not really different. One, you have a loss lead. One, you have a, 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 a win lead. 
but pretty much all the body of the story is the same. You're given the play-by-play -play until you worked out the room and able to rewrite your story. This one, you are ending their season. You're trying to say the season's over, or they're advancing to Chicago. So I'm trying to make sure that certain sections that have to be in that is in that story and that story, and I'm changing this. And then he comes – I mean, I got 12 minutes to write this to, between periods – and thank God I did kick him away because then the freaking Niederreiter scores five minutes in overtime. And because I got rid of him, both my stories are ready to go. And I was able to take the win story and update it. So I did the right thing, is what I'm telling you. I was just looking out. I was just curious. Yeah. <laughs> Thought so. maybe it made you have some extra work. And what makes me even more angry right now thinking about this is how unaffected Chad was by you coming down to bother us. Right. Because he was my competition at the Pioneer Press and should have been under the same stress level as me. Yeah, he didn't yell at but me. But nothing bothers that guy. He just gave me a goofy grin. I know that. <laughs> and that's exactly what he gave you, a goofy grin. And he starts, like, chuckling. I'm like, dude, you should be having the same problem I you have. You should get be to as work. mad as me. Yeah, like, get to work, Chad. Dan, Dan's like that, too. It must be a Pioneer Press thing. It's like, all of a sudden, I look at Dan. It's like, like a minute left in the second mission. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, sure it's a are you going to start writing thing. your story? It's so. every, every writer other than whoever you're working for at the time. <sighs> All right, just breathe. I was, I was telling, we'll get so I woke up at 4 a.m. today in Pittsburgh, had to go to practice, had to write, had to do Brero, and I was talking to Jake and his dad on the way over here, and I said, I just have this feeling I'm going to explode on LaPanta tonight. I'm so tired. I'm so, like, just, like, just want to go to sleep. And then I know that Anthony is just going to figure out a way to needle me. And I'm still <laughs> expecting that to continue to happen because, so. Just because I'm well rested because I flew home last night? Yes, exactly. So. Well, that's why we all came here is just to watch you explode on Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. But now I really am like, I, I feel like that would have already happened if Margo and Ariana were in here. But I feel like I can't, <laughs> I can't explode on him uh, with, with his yeah, wife they've and his never daughter. seen anybody explode on me before. Yeah. I think Margo's seen me explode on you, definitely, 100%. Maybe 100 <laughs> times. And in your house, probably. All right, so my question is, uh, the article that came out in The Athletic about the Chicago Wolves, because it's great segue, you talked about Chicago with yeah. Rossi being there, and then um, with The Athletic. If that works with Chicago becoming independent mm -hmm. for them, how would that change the landscape? Did you tweet that to me to ask Aaron today? I did not. I, okay, did, I some, did not tweet you today. Okay. Somebody asked me. I thought somebody asked me that exact question about uh, how it would change the landscape to Garen. And um, I didn't ask it to Garen because I was thinking to myself, like, I'm going to put him on the spot and he's not even going to know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, you know, and, and maybe he did, but I don't know. Um, honestly, I'm not well versed enough in it. There's a lot of problems going on in the AHL right now. I mean, right now, I mean, they're essentially trying to get a new commissioner. Um, but, yeah, it's going to change things. I mean, they essentially kicked the Carolina Hurricanes off being their, their affiliate right now. Um, so I have not uh, – but I have not checked into it. Like, I have not reached out to their management, um, their PR department, and things like that. So I don't know how it's going to change anything, but they are going to have to either get a dual – the way I would think is that they're either going to have to share an affiliate, which is never ideal, uh, next year, or they're going to have to find a new one. So, no, years ago, Atlanta, Atlanta – Atlanta, uh, years ago, um, Chicago was always really, if I remember correctly, was always independent. Back in the day when John Anderson was, was coaching them, like back in the 05 season, they had guys from the Atlanta Thrashers, they had guys from the Florida Panthers. Um, I remember one year, 
Um, it's, I mean, it's still one of my favorite. I covered an unbelievably dysfunctional franchise down in Florida. Like, I could write a book on the thousands of stupid stuff that they did down there. And uh, one of the hilarious stories ever is in the 2004-05 lockout, um, all these great NHL players were, you know, from especially that 2003 draft, were playing, or, or 2001, 2003, they were playing in the AHL. And all these teams on September 14th, we covered the World Cup of Hockey in Toronto, and on the 14th, right before the lockout, a just a swarm of incredible players were signed to the AHL. Eric Stahl, Zach Parisi, um, and two guys in Florida were Jay Bill Meester and, and, um, and Stephen Weiss. So they were signed to the San Antonio Rampage, and they were atrocious all year long. And Mike Keenan, around February, gets word that they're not, they're not making the playoffs to Rampage, and he, get, they get wor- he gets word that essentially Stephen Weiss and Jay Bill Meester had already made vacation plans. So what he did is he traded their rights to the Chicago Wolves. And so this is two first-round picks for the Florida Panthers. He sends to another team's minor league team that was like half Atlanta, half like all these other teams. And, um, and what he did is he, took, he tried to figure out the teams that would probably go to the Calder Cup final, have the longest playoff runs. To, not so they get like time to like develop. It was to like inconvenience them. And so he picked the Philadelphia Phantoms and the, um, and the, and the uh, Chicago Wolves. He was going to be one of those two. Chooses Chicago, sends them there. Coincidentally, Philadelphia plays Chicago in the Calder Cup Finals in June. And the only reason why I totally remember this story verbatim is that I was covering the Marlins during the lockout, and they were playing a series in Chicago. And I convinced our, our Marlins writer, I'm like, hey, let me, let me cover this series, and I'll go kill two birds with one stone. I'll go to Chicago and do sit down with Weiss and Pomeister and then cover this Wrigley game at this series at Wrigley and it just worked out perfectly so um, yeah so anyway that's they've been independent in the past but this is very this is, different this is different yeah so Royal Credit Union smart checking accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance make the switch to a Royal checking account and you'll also get real time transaction alerts free mobile check deposits and surcharge free access to over 40,000 ATMs across the US Enjoy financial freedom with no minimum balance and no monthly fees when you switch to Royal Smart Checking Account. Learn more and open your Royal Credit Union Smart Checking Account online at rcu.org slash go checking. Insured by NCUA. Moe's is a great spot. Moe's, it's inside Fogarty Arena up in Blaine. Terrific menu, and I know that they've expanded their pizza menu recently. It's a great place to watch a game. Go check it out. Terrific menu. They've got great sandwiches, great burgers, and check out their flatbread pizzas. They're outstanding. You won't be disappointed. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call is always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Oh, no. It's a quality question, even though I'm not exactly well-versed on it. Hopefully make this a quick, fun one. So uh, playing a game, this guy had... 
the all white Nike skates, and some guy on our team kept calling them Skechers all night. And I've never <laughs> seen something get under somebody's skin more than that. So, in your guys' career, who stands out as the best trash talkers? That Clutterbuck really- was unbelievable. Um, oh, yeah. Clutterbuck was. I once did a story at the Strib. I should find it. Um, although the Strib has the worst, so they changed their like website years ago. So like a lot of the stories that back in the like even like six seven years ago don't even exist on there. You got to go to like newspapers.com. But I did this great story with once with it was kind of similar to what Mark Andre Fleury and Joe Smith story the other day like top ten or five like pranks that Fleury has played. I did one with, like the top ten chirps that Clutterbuck has made that were printable for the Strib. Um, two other players. And one of my favorite ones is that Stefan Robidaux, we were in Dallas, and they were just screaming at each other in the penalty box. And Robidaux was losing his mind. He was wearing one of those full bubble cages. And I asked Clutterbuck what he said to him. And he goes, he said to him, I go to him, uh, roll down your window. I can't hear you. <laughs> and uh, and Robidaux, like, completely missed, like, lost his mind. Hartman's great, Ryan too. Hartman is, I was just going to say, yeah. this year's Wild Club, he's the best. Yeah, he's, I mean, he is just. And it's funny because if you ask him the next day what he said, he can't, he's a pretty stoic guy. Oh, my God, you should see my interview with him today. And, and try, he really tries, it's done intentionally, to yeah. not break a smile. Yeah. But yet, if you ask him what you said to that guy last night, he can't help himself except grin and tell you and, and tell you. And it's he's had some good ones. He was the best the ones. Story, how he made Bennington. Yeah, the meltdown. story with St. Louis. I was just going to say was was one of the best. And the the story that as he told it was St. Louis had called a timeout. I don't know if you if you remember the game, but the Blues had been up on the Wild three one. The Wild had come back, and I believe they had taken a four three lead. And St. Louis called a timeout, and. So as Bennington had gone to the bench during the timeout, as he skated back past, Hartman like just kind of skated over to him and said, hey, it's okay, buddy. You got this. Yeah, and you know, just stay with just it. You stay got with it. it. You just got it. it. And Bennington lost his mind. And then, of course, a little while later in the game, he went after Hartman, after Hartman kind of accidentally happened to bump yeah. into him. And, and what he said, uh, this was the podcast that he did with John King and Ryan Carter that, that I heard all this. And, and he basically said that he went up to Kelly Sutherland, the referee, coincidentally bore for that shift and he said to him hey just watch yeah, he's dead. Bennington because he's going to take a penalty to shift because I'm going to the net and before he even has a chance to go to the net the wild score and so of course he takes the route right. to accidentally trip over his pad seconds after he told Bennington like you know just stay with it you know be calm stay with it. Yeah. and Bennington just freaking exploded oh my god so Yes. Question? Sorry. Uh, no, no problem. Uh, first Phones off, can be so distracting. First off, uh, He's Mike, paying attention to your question. He's just looking at his phone. Trust me. I am. It's weird. Another, another shiny object. No right. Doubt. Yeah. Uh, first off, Mike, congratulations on your interview today on KFAN with Billy G. I thought that was just outstanding. <laughs> that was a fun one. And for a guy who's ground, grounded in print like you are, you are remarkably fluid on the radio. Uh, I appreciate it. The, I don't know if everybody heard that interview, but the funniest back and forth with him is I kept on calling Rossi Rossi because that's technically how you're supposed to pronounce his name now. And he was like, he's like talking to me. And then finally he was like, wait a minute, are we talking about Rossi? And I'm like, yeah, Rossi. And, I, and he goes, like, like, we were, like, both, like, completely confused with the other. And then I had to break it to him that, like, his name's now pronounced Rossi. And he goes, well, I didn't get the memo. And then I'm like, well, how about for the sake of the rest of the interview, we'll call him Rossi. And then he goes, no, let's just call him Rossi to be respectful. 
And then, but then I didn't know if he misunderstood me. And I was like, so you, I'm, you are saying that Rossi is not playing tomorrow in Chicago, right? Meaning that he is the guy being called up. And it was like, I sort of trapped him into like admitting that he was called. And it was, it was just honestly a funny, funny, like, it was like one of those, like, you know, Abbott and Costello routines. So. Yeah, he answered the question. I know, I know Anthony listened to all three and a half hours. So. Uh, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. I might have had it on mute, but it was... Actually, I did listen to part of the Billy interview. It was fun. But I, the, the Rossi thing I saw, somebody sent me a tweet about it and said, asked me if I was familiar. And I was like, well, until I see the guy face to face and ask him how he wants his name said, I'm not going to yeah. worry about it. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously... We did gotta... change how we pronounced Mikhail Gronlin the other night because I asked the Pittsburgh broadcasters and they said when he got traded to Pittsburgh, he asked if they would pronounce his name... Gronland. So even so though now it's pretty, no longer Gronlund and it's not like Yeah, he just said Gronland. Remember so. it said Licky, Zidlitsky. Yeah. My favorite was when the Mahalik brothers who wanted their names yeah. pronounced differently. differently. One guy wanted it Mahalik and yeah. one Macaulay. And then the Wild had Chuck Kobasu and then he goes to Calgary or vice versa and it was Kobaso. It's just like uh, and, and he's not even and European. There are sometimes when guys when I've legitimately asked like, well, what happened? They said, well, he got traded here, and he said at the last place nobody ever said it right, but he never corrected yeah. him. So he got here and decided, well, Johansson's one of them. Yeah. He told the Washington guys that his name was Johansson for years. And, but then as soon as he left Washington, he's told everybody else that it's Johansson. So, Kim Johansson was Kim Yunsen right, in real so life. So when we just played Washington, and the Washington play-by-play -play guy, Joe Beninati is his name, he came over and he said, okay, can you just explain this? Have you talked to him? I said, I asked him specifically. He said Johansson. And he, so then he told me the story that it was every city he's been to since, the guys told him Johansson, but he said, I went up to him and said, did you change the way you say the name? And he said, no, you can still say it, Johansson. Yeah. I said, well, this is your name. Just pick yeah. one and go with it. Yeah. The another good one was Derek Bogard. Like if you, I remember the first time I met his dad, and he introduced himself as Len Bogard to me. I'm like, okay, and uh, and I go up to Derek. I'm like, is your name pronounced Bogard? And he goes, well, yeah, but Bogard sounds scarier. And I'm like, all right, Bogard, it is. Yep. So, all right. So my question for both of you is to look forward to next season and handicap the Wild's defensive core because. The way things stand right now, once you get past Spurgeon and Brodeen and Middleton, I think you've got some serious question marks, assuming that Dumba's not back. They kind of have been wishy-washy on Addison. Goose is signed for another year, but they've let him sit out half the games. And then you've got Merrill, who I'm personally not a fan of, but he's signed for next year at a really cheap rate, which is maybe what makes him appealing. Even if Faber shows up, where do they get the rest of the decor filled out for? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the hope is that O'Rourke and, or especially Damon Hunt, is starting to get that next step. I mean, Faber, they are expecting that Faber, Faber is going to be to the right of Jonas Brodin. Faber will be in the top four unless something miraculous happens with a Dumba deal, which I don't think is possible. But it, you never, it, you never know. Goligoski and. Merrill will both be a part of it. They'll probably be the six and seven defensemen. And then I think the bigger, I think the biggest question is what happens with Kalen Addison. And are they, is he a guy that they, because if they keep him, there's your answer. That's seven defensemen, you're not gonna have any more. 
but if they feel like maybe somebody else would value him more, and he has some value. Without a doubt, he has some value, but it's just hard to have a guy like that in this defensive core because they're not the biggest, most imposing group to begin with. Yeah, he was. Yeah, and, yeah. A, and a pick, but yeah. and I, I don't, I don't believe the Wild have given up on him. And I, but I just wonder if they wouldn't look at it, and there might be some other team that would have where he'd have a bigger role than what he'll have here. Here, he's I think the be Wild a power have given play up specialist and a third pair guy at most yeah. on the on the Wild roster. But for somebody else, he might be a guy that quarterbacks the first power play and therefore has value. I think the Wild have given up on him. I think they're going to trade him this summer. I, mean, I thought the biggest kick in the, you know what, the uh, that was the other day in Colorado where they played goose at a, at a forward position when Addison made the most sense. I mean, like, you know, there just comes a point where it's just like, you know. And I asked Billy about him on the radio today, and Billy said that he's been incredibly, um, you know, professional throughout this this whole thing and that this is only because Klingberg's here and, and all that stuff. But, I mean, this is, this kid's got head's got to be mental, you know, just – just doing somersaults right now. What's up? Uh, not much. So, uh, question about Zuccarello, and then I have a question about Marco. I won't say the last name. Uh, with Zuccarello, it didn't seem like he stepped up when Kaprizov was out, but Boldy did, Johan- Johansson, Johansson, however you want to say it. <laughs> depends Heck, on if you're in Washington Yeah, it depends on where you're at. Uh, Hartman was playing better. And then I saw his quote today about he's 35, he goes through, you know, you go through these stretches, and his little nookie blanket comes back tomorrow. Uh, So how does that affect his future to, can they extend him this summer? Or is it one more year before they can extend him? No, they can extend him this summer. Um, if I, if I were them, I would, I would wait to see what he looks like next, next, late next season or into the summer. Like if they want him back, I can't imagine that he would just leave if they waited that long, uh, because he loves it here so much and loves playing with Kaprizov and stuff like that. But, but to me, this last, not just since Kaprizov has been out, but before that, um, I think it is alarming. He's 35. Um, he's never been the fleetest of foot. He's definitely the fleetest in his head. I mean, he is, he is a smart hockey player, um, great hands, all that stuff. But he's not, and so you just want to see how he's going to age. And, and because he's had this really, you know, in my eyes, pedestrian second half and very subpar last 13 games, I, I just think that should be an alarm bell to Bill Guerin to not get ahead of it and, and make a decision that they could regret. Yeah, I disagree. Only in that... I don't think anything's happened in the last 13 games that would alarm me in any way. You took away the guy with whom he's played. You've filled that other wing with a lot of guys who have, frankly, never fit there. Marcus Foligno. What about the month and a half before, though? He, his game was fine. It was not. And it was, but it was, if you look at this stretch, he was playing with Felino. He was playing with Sam Steele. He was playing with guys they've tried in, that, in those spots, and they've failed. And... They did. It would be different if they had put him with Matt Boldy, and then his game had dried up. I don't but disagree they didn't that. Do that. Yeah. So he, they they left him there. His game, the power play hasn't been great, so that's where you get a lot of his numbers. And I agree with you in that he's not a guy built on speed, but his speed isn't any slower right now than it was before. He hasn't slowed down. He he's his game is the same it's been. 
if you look at his numbers, we showed this on the show last night, I believe. His 82-game pace numbers in his career are about 60. And this year, it's without Kaprizov, it's about high 50s. With Kaprizov, it's close to a point-a-game player in his, for three years. Mm -hmm. So I just don't think there's anything. He's right about where he always has been unless he's playing with this guy. And if we had thrown him with Boldy, maybe those numbers wouldn't have slipped. I just look at it as he's a veteran. You have to make adjustments to who you're playing Absolutely. with. Absolutely. And it didn't look like he did that. He refuses to shoot. He's right down the slot, and I'm going to dish it off to the <clears> side. But, but I'll just, to play devil's advocate, if they had put him on a line with Matt Boldy, and, but they didn't because they said, we want to keep Boldy and Johansson playing together, so we're just going to live with whatever else is up here, much like they did with Kevin Fiala last year, and just said, we're not going to mess with Zuccarello and Kaprizov. You're just going to play with whoever we've got here until Boldy's ready. And look at what it did for Fiala. Fiala was a, ended up being an 85-point scorer, but most of that came once he had a guy on his wing that could play the game with him. And it's, I just think there's a lot more there. I think if they, had, if they were going into a season knowing Kaprizov's gone all year, they make, you'd say to Zuccarello, you've got to adjust. And the only thing I think they were disappointed in was the way it impacted just the way he carried himself. And... That you could see. You could see he was, the team was winning, but things weren't going great for him. And, and you could see some of that around the rink. And I think that perhaps needed to be addressed. But in terms of how he played, he plays hard every night. And he plays hard every night, but, you know, he's turning pucks over. He's making bad decisions. I, I just think right. back to but starting we, with that game in Arizona right after the break where he cost him the game. But we talked um, about this. There's, you throw passes where you're expecting Kirill Kaprizov right. to be. And how about, how about when you're down Polino two in Vegas? The, the game how about when you're down two in Vegas the other day, and for the thousandth time with the Wild, he skates himself between the circles and doesn't even consider shooting? Like, isn't that a time where you got to say, all right, we're down two, there's five minutes left, and it's now on me, to your point, to make a difference here. And that's, that's where I think I know he's aggravated. He's yeah, ag they, I mean, they, even Billy said to me, I don't know what's going on with yeah, him today they've, on the radio. They've tried to get him to shoot the puck more since he's been here. Yeah. And even when he is playing with Kaprizov. But as you know, we've seen it for... How many years? When, when a line or a guy is struggling, they wind up always trying to make the extra play. They feel like you have to make the highlight reel play. I got to get a tap in because nothing's going in. And it, it clicked for Matt Boldy going the other way. All of a sudden, he had a couple pucks go in. Now he looks like a world beater. He's got the puck on his stick all the time. He's, making, he's not just scoring. He's making plays. He's carrying the puck. For two or three weeks before that, in fact, you were the guy saying it, like, I can't watch this guy anymore. He can't get a shot off. He can't make a pass. He can't. Well, you score a couple, and now all of a sudden you got confidence. Well, when you don't score, you lose that confidence. And now instead of just taking the puck and, and let her rip, you feel like, okay, I need a point so badly, I'm going to try and get it back to that guy for the tip-in on the doorstep. And he's not the only one who thinks that way. Are you uh, at all, uh, uh, you know, and I talked a little bit to Dean about this the other day, are you a little concerned um, about 
how this could like do you think Boldy's going to continue to be assertive to to not defer to Kaprizov on the power play to continue to shoot the puck and yeah. and get H because it, assuming that he gets a centerman mm-hmm. at five on five that can keep the line going Ariana he's looking for approval here <laughs> because to me to me you're you're good because you you asked a question that made Anthony and I disagree in proving again I'm right hey can I just I, I got to interrupt what I'm saying and just tell Nils over here who walked in that the podcast started at 7:15 Central not Mountain okay. Shows up an hour late, then he walks out to go to the bathroom. So, anyway. Yeah. Uh, speaking of players. By the way, we still got to just quickly wrap up the show. But before we wrap the show, we got to talk about the Frozen Four. So. All right, I'll make this quick. Speaking of players that have been MIA mostly for the whole season, is there any chance that Moose is not back next year? I really doubt it. Um, you know, I really doubt it. At least that was what was being said, like, you know, a couple months ago or a month and a half ago. I just uh, – I mean, yeah. he's so important in that locker room. And and, uh, and he brings a lot. Actually, I thought he was great in Pittsburgh. I thought it was one of his better games. And we talk so much about guys when they don't have the right combos with them. This is a guy who all year they've been trying to figure out what the right mm-hmm. spot is. His line mates from last year, one's been traded, the other's playing on a different line. And somehow, some way, they got to construct a line that fits for him. And it might be he with Freddie Gaudreau and Gustav Nyquist. That it might be that group. We'll see. I, ju- I just I, thought at three and a half million, he might be a luxury that they can't afford since he isn't. Well, I know. I, you know, I mean, what you're asking is a legitimate question because that would solve a lot of issues. But there's just there's there's too much. Um, I, I think that they think. Too much, too highly of him to do that, and and I do think that we all got to remember also when he um, uh, before he got the puck off the kneecap, he started really playing well, and I think that slowed him down a bit. But I I agree, yeah. you know. Again, I, I I think your question is valid because of his costs, um, yeah. and because Duham might be somebody that is is makes him expendable a bit, but uh, but can give I, you the same but, thing for a cheaper yep, price. Yep, yeah, but. Uh, but as long as Garen's the GM, I just don't see that happening. Well, so. he's wearing a letter for a reason, so yeah, I right. get it. Uh, last question. I want to follow up on your Addison comment. That, unlike Anthony, you're sure they're moving him. Well, I'm not sure, no, no. but I'm just I'm not, saying I'm not I'm sure they're not. Connecting I'm saying the dots I think here. That they're, I don't think they've given up on him in terms of that he's a valuable asset. I just think there might be another team that values him more, and therefore he becomes a tradable asset. So the question is... Um, in a year where the draft is supposed to be really deep, do you give Judd Brackett another bite at the apple? And is Addison somebody you package with the Wilds pick to move up? Yeah, uh, Perhaps. Is I mean, that an overpay? Uh, it's, it depends on how yeah, far it depends you're moving on, up. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're moving up to get the number one pick, it's not an overpay. I mean, if, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. But, obviously, yeah. it depends, right? depends where you're moving up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's too hypothetical for me to even wrap my head around right now, but I do think they're going to move him at the draft. Um, let's talk Frozen Four real quick. I had Bob Motzko on the radio today, which, you know, just this guy is such a gem. Like, you know, win last night, and, you know, of course I didn't ask him before the game, like, hey, if you win, we, but, you know, they win, and then you reach out, and he's like, yeah, I'll come on at 4 o'clock outright before the Hobie Baker thing and on a day before the biggest game of his career. Um, and um, that team yesterday – 
First of all, it's going to be really hard. I don't know about you. You you have to watch tomorrow's game. I could watch tomorrow's game and pretend it. Um, but I'll it's going it it to be hard for me not to be very distracted about that. Um, you know, I don't – you know, you try – like, I don't cover the Gophers, so I feel like I can root. But I just I, – I, I think so highly of that guy, and I just think the program is outstanding right now, and I really hope they do win. But that team is so deep, Anthony. Like, or at the beginning of this year, I just thought that they had this, this incredible line. But they're – you know – you. One day you got Brzezinski getting four goals. The next day you got Red Pitlick scoring a highlight reel goal. The next thing you know, Aaron Hoogland scoring an insane you know, pass to set up a goal. Yeah. Or Luke Middlestat's getting two goals in the third. And you got this the incredible blue line. And, right? and, and Justin Close is one of the best stories in college hockey. And I just, I think, I agree with you about Bob. He's a phenomenal guy. I've known him for years. And he's a guy that's really easy to root for. And yeah, you're not supposed to cheer, but I'm I'm pulling for them tomorrow. I hope they win, and I have no reason not to cheer for them. But I, I think it's I think he deserves so much credit. If you remember where the team was, and not just I'm not talking about that. It's not like he took over a team that was at the bottom of the Big Ten, but he took over a team that was playing in front of an empty building most nights. The the aura and the mystique of Gopher hockey was had taken a step back for sure. Hadn't been in the finals since 2014. Haven't won it in 20 years. But, and he knew exactly what that challenge was and what those expectations were, and yet embraced it. And now I watch some of the games down the stretch. That building is rocking again. It, it looks like the old Gopher games that I remember when I was covering Gopher hockey. And nothing else has changed. The Big Ten hasn't changed. It isn't like fans from Ann Arbor are flying in here and filling the building. He's recreated the energy with style of play, with, and I think you got to give the coach credit for that. If you're going to blame coaches when it goes the other way, you have to step back and just give the coaches credit when it goes that way. And it, just a tremendous group of guys. Uh, I know a few of the players from having covered them at the high school level or even a little bit with the Gophers. And I, I, just, I think it would be great for Minnesota hockey to see them finish it off tomorrow against Quinnipiac. And, uh, yeah, Quinnipiac, obviously a very tough opponent. I watched a lot of that game on my phone last night during the Pittsburgh game, and uh, they I felt like odd man rush after odd man rush. Uh, Bob said on the radio today that Michigan got very loose, which was really hard to tell as I was trying to cover a game and watch that game. Um, but great goaltending, great defense, um, and it's going to be just, uh, you know, a uh, really, really quality game, unfortunately, at the same exact time the Wild are playing. Yeah, too um, bad because the Wild were supposed to play an afternoon game. Yeah. Works and out for you, though. Well, it works out for me, other than that they took a Oh, they, right. They just it wasn't just a game. Yeah. So we, yeah. we swapped. This was supposed to be a national TV game. They took the Seattle game a couple of weeks ago instead and gave this one back to us, which then made it have to get pushed to the evening so as not to conflict with their national right. window. Lastly, uh, Brock Faber, uh, obviously going to be a wild player probably by Sunday. Uh, I would assume that he'll not join the team in Chicago probably Tuesday against Winnipeg. Um, that would be my guess because, you know, regardless, win or no win, he's going to fly home Sunday. Team's going to already left left by them. You're going to really fly him commercial to Chicago, um, you know, unless they plan to fly. I, I can't imagine they would fly him. Uh, a lot might depend if they win or lose, right? Celebration right. versus non-celebration. But he will – I assume that we're going to have a press conference Tuesday, but we could have an announcement Sunday. Uh, that contract's essentially done. Um, you've watched a lot of Faber this year. Yeah, he's, like he's, he's, I mean, very competitive – um, skates looks like he's about 11. Yeah, I mean, skates marvelously, uh, defends marvelously. Uh, that you know, obviously, the hope is that it, that he could continue to build on his offense. Um, but what do you think of him? And and do I you, like him a lot. Yeah, I think 
it would be hard to throw him in right now and say we're going to ask a lot of you in a Stanley Cup playoff game. Yeah. But I think I bet you he watches. Yeah, next year I bet he's in the top four. Yeah, and I have a feeling like you know I think that that Eriksson injury is going to be something. If the Wild have no chance of winning the division, I think it's going to be a cautionary tale to the Wild that we might see Faber. I don't know if Tuesday without a practice, um, but certainly Thursday I could see. Uh, you know, Spurge and Brodeen, these guys getting some games off here down the stretch uh, to essentially asset management. Uh, any other questions or we're going to wrap up the show? I know um, Nils and Jake's uh, buddies uh, really enjoyed the podcast back there, showing up an hour and 15 minutes into it. So um, any other questions? That's it. That's it. We don't, uh, so we're going to do a podcast this upcoming week. Stay tuned to see if it's going to be a live podcast or not. It's, it's just hard to schedule right now because we don't know the wild uh, playoff schedule. Uh, but if we do a podcast uh, live, it's going to probably be April 14th, which is another Friday night, which I know Anthony is always excited about. Why not? Um, all right. Thanks to our incredible sponsors uh, uh, from the Aquarius Home <laughs> Services studio. Always just smooth. Yeah. Smooth. Yeah. <laughs> You should be the one reading the podcast. You could do art. You could throw in an Arby's in there. Right, who doesn't love yeah. Arby's? Yeah. It was actually who doesn't love Wendy's. But yeah. I, I, can we just like honestly, just like everybody be quiet so you can read the sponsors? No, not just be sponsor, but I think that we need to just sh- throw some unbelievable respect to Margo for having to live with you for now. What? How many years? Almost oh my years. God! Just imagine. Having to live with this obnoxious person for 31 years. 31 years. Yeah. She deserves like 25 medals. You you don't know how many medals I've given her. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us from the Aquarius Home Services studio. Uh, Our sponsor is Aquarius Home Services. Your installers of Connecticut Water Treatment Systems. Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Royal Credit Union, Bose Tavern, Bosch Law Firm, and Twill at the, by Scott Dayton at the Adina Galleria. Thanks to everybody for coming out on Friday night. What a crowd here at Split Rocks. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. So much coming out, there's nothing going on.